delve into plant stories. The modern, the old, and the crazy in between. Myth or fact? Some of you may know that Coca-Cola originally had a recipe with cocaine. But did you know that the original tonic was mixed coca leaves and Bordeaux wine? That one's a fact. And that brings us into today's episode, the coca plant. Yeah, so the coca plant is is sadly a plant that has a history that's more than just the uh, cocaine that we know of. But, um, you know, that is, I think, its main, obviously, claim to fame. So the cocoa plant is a tropical shrub from the family. I know I'm going to butcher this. Erythroxalaceae. Mm. Yes. And, uh, Sounds it, like a dinosaur. It really does. <laughs> um, and the plant is cultivated in Africa, Southeast Asia, and Taiwan, but primarily South America. So uh, many years ago, it was exported to those places because it can tolerate that climate. But it is native uh, to South America, specifically kind of the areas near the Andes Mountains. Um, the bush itself grows about eight feet tall with straight branches and these kind of small, uh, thin, opaque, oval-shaped leaves that uh, taper off kind of at the extremities. And they actually have really pretty berry flowers. Uh, so, you know, they have these really pretty little berries that turn into flowers and uh, they love hot, very damp areas like forest clearings. Um, But the leaves that people like to extract things from actually uh, come from plants in drier locations. So like on the side of hills where they wouldn't necessarily have uh, a lot of moisture staying in them. Mm hmm. So where does the history of the use of the cocoa plant start? Uh, So cocoa has believed to have been used in South and Central America since about 1000 BC. So native people of the Andes have been thought to be using it as a folk remedy and even kind of like a leisure drug, you know, in the 3000 years since then. Uh, It had been used for many years by the time the Spanish came in 1532 to conquer the Inca. And when they did this, they kind of tried to eliminate their use of the cocoa plant. They did see that, you know, it was a a stimulant and for whatever reason they decided they wanted to take it away from them. But when they did this, they actually found that um, it's, really lowered their productivity, especially in uh, such a high altitude area. And they didn't do the work very well without it. So ultimately, they decided to, you know, give it back to them and instead just control their use of it. So they would actually give uh, cocoa leaves out as payment Uh, with wages to all the workers. Um, And it made the use of coca more widespread among these empires uh, and more of like a part of their daily life. 
And this kind of continued where, you know, it continued to be a part of daily life and their medicine um, and was widely ignored by the rest of the world until the 1800s. So doctors kind of became more curious about the uses of the cocoa leaves as a possible medicine. Um, and they noted that there was a improvement in mood and a decrease of fatigue. Uh, you know, most users were experiencing upon use and they thought it might be good possibly in the treatment of um, psychological issues, which were kind of coming into medical interest at the time. Um, you know, but the interest in the plant really changed after the discovery and extraction of the alkaloid cocaine. So in the coca plant, there are 14 other alkaloids that have been identified. It's not the only thing in the plant, um, but certainly once it was extracted and kind of mass distributed for use, interest in the other parts of the plant kind of faded a little bit. Um, so even so, the coca leaves themselves are known for kind of having an inconsistent uh, leaf composition as far as the potency of the alkaloids within it. Um, the best specimens are said to have like a really strong tea odor and when you chew them they like warm your mouth and have like a pleasant pungent taste. And um, even so the word coca is believed to have come from the Aymara people of South America who uh, use the word coca, spelled K-H-O-K-A, which just means the tree. And so it was kind of like their tree. Um, and it's how they referred to that. Um, while there is kind of one specific plant that we're talking about here, um, the most common form, which is the Erythoxylum coca, there are also a couple of other varieties of the same plant. Um, that are cultivated by small South American communities for traditional purposes, but they are not the uh, stereotypical, more widespread coca plant. And so I did a lot of research to kind of try and figure out more about this plant, but it does seem that the overwhelming amount of research is done more specifically on actual cocaine. And we know that cocaine is dangerous, I hope, you know, but much like our other plants, you know, it does have an estimated lethal dose. So the estimated lethal dose of cocaine is 1.2 grams, although it can be less depending on how you're intaking it into your body. So, you know, whether it's going through a mucous membrane, uh, whether it's being ingested, you know, veins, whatever, however you're getting it, it can't, that can affect it. Um, and we do know that it, the dangerous qualities that it has are, you know, death via seizures, stroke, cardiac arrhythmias and arrests, kind of like signs of overstimulation, um, which can happen pretty easily if you take too much of it. So if people are using it originally to help with things like fatigue and altitude sickness. 
what exactly are the properties on how it affects the body? So, uh, like I said, with the, you know, obviously over stimulation of it uh, can certainly cause some uh, damage, but ultimately the medicinal uses that it was used for, you know, by the um, South Americans who originally put it in folk medicine is that it was often used to relieve gastrointestinal upset. So just like general anything, stomach pain, nausea, intestinal spasm, constipation, diarrhea, like whatever stomach issue you had, they did believe that this was a drug that could easily restore balance to the intestinal system. Uh, you know, chewing or ingesting the leaves themselves. The leaves have high levels of potassium and phosphorus and calcium, other vitamins, proteins, fibers. Um, it was also chewed or held in the mouth to relieve painful oral sores, lesions, toothaches. Um, and, you know, like we said, it, it does also believe to have some relieving effects of the common sicknesses of living at a high altitude. So especially in a place like the Andes Mountains, you know, you can be easily fatigued. Um, it's said that it can kind of keep some of the cold and hunger away um, and has, it seems, some effect on reducing heat loss. Um, if you're just chewing the leaf, it does seem to have kind of a stimulant property that's comparable to coffee. So obviously not the same, but if you're having a very low dose um, chewed with some of these other you know, compounds that are present in the cocoa leaf. It does seem that the stimulant is comparable to that of coffee. Um, and, you know, all of those are quite mild in comparison to the effects of cocaine. So we know that um, it can result in addiction more for the feeling that it gives than necessarily the actual drug itself. Um, and it can cause stroke, seizures, cardiovascular disease, respiratory illness, nose collapse, shrinking brain size, to name a few of the effects that have been uh, noted by, you know, people in the medical field. So at what point do we start seeing put into tonics and beverages yeah so i mean initially the one of the reasons that cocoa took so long to take off is that uh, the leaves didn't travel particularly well and so by the time they arrived you know after expeditions to the u.s or to european locations they were often deemed kind of unusable and weren't considered the main focus of projects. Um, and so it took quite a long time for someone to really become interested in it. And one of those people was a man named Angelo Mariani, who was a chemist uh, living in Corsica. And he's the one who first uh, brewed cocoa leaves with Bordeaux wine and sold it as this uh, tonic. And so this was kind of in um, 
the Victorian era, which again, talked a lot about the Victorian era, and that's really when kind of this explosion of the movement of plants started. Um, and so he was able to, you know, get access to this plant. Um, he was looking for something new to sell, and he came across these leaves. He kind of heard things about it, and when he brewed them with this Bordeaux wine, it became um, very, very popular. And it's from this that we first realized that the ethanol and alcohol would be a solvent for the cocaine alkaloid. And the drink, which originally contained about six milligrams of cocaine, was so acclaimed that the Pope actually gave it a Vatican medal. Uh, many other people became really excited about it, like Queen Victoria, Ulysses Grant, William Kinley, Thomas Edison. Many writers also swore by it. Uh, Sigmund Freud was a habitual user who claims that he felt to produce no craving after multiple uses and suggested it as a, you know, possible, not cure, but way to treat uh, several psychological effects. Um, doctors kind of looked into it as a topical anesthetic and possibly a nerve blocker for use in surgery. So this initial, you know, this initial prompting of this plant became very popular among many people. And ultimately, the success of this drink led to the making of what we now know as Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola was debuted in the 1880s by John Pemberton. And uh, he unfortunately himself was a morphine addict, kind of just looking for another thing. He had heard about this drink. Um, the first kind of uh, prototypes, I guess you might want to call them, for Coca-Cola actually did include a wine-based tonic here, but eventually, you know, the prohibition and stuff kind of happened, and so uh, you could no longer use well, not prohibition, I don't think, at that time. But ultimately, alcohol was less widely accepted. And so instead, he just changed it to mostly like cocaine with syrup. And that was kind of the Coca-Cola that we know today. So minus the cocaine, that same syrupy formula is what we drink um, in Coke. Now, compared to today's Coke, it provided a little bit more energy because, you know, um, it contained cocaine. Right. And so, <laughs> but people did find um, that this drink had the effects that it promised. Uh, higher energy levels, um, you know, improved mood. And so it became very popular and it did have a very successful uh, marketing campaign and so the drug pretty quickly became a staple in you know like at-home medicine kits it was sold in drug stores and department stores and the problem kind of came in when the fact that people had like unlimited access to this drug and that's when the kind of more addictive and dangerous qualities began to become apparent. 
you know, people were drinking a lot of Coca-Cola and they could just go buy more if they wanted. And if you overdosed on it, you know, yikes. And people kind of started to see this. And ultimately, as the number of addicts kind of quickly rose, um, by the early 1900s, people were starting to kind of call for, at the very least, some regulation. Um, and they did kind of a massive crackdown where you were only able to obtain the drug from a doctor. And then it was eventually completely outlawed, or outlawed by kind of the early 1910s. So... In 1903, under mounting pressure, Coca-Cola changed its formula to using spent leaves that no longer contained the cocaine alkaloid and replacing the cocaine with caffeine. Um, and so that's kind of how that developed into what we know today um, and what kind of popularized cocaine in the American consciousness. Um, and for sure, the consciousness of other countries where these same developments were popular as well. Um, for a yeah. long time, cocaine use was widely down. But as we all know, there was kind of a resurgence in the 1980s. And around that time, we saw 12 million people addicted to cocaine. So it's definitely something that uh, has kind of an international effect to it. or films or TV shows that showcased the actual plant itself, but it just really hasn't hit like mainstream media the same way as these other dangerous plants have. Using that just as that's what our title is. But I imagine that, you know, it would be much more apparent in films that are based in South America. You know, it's, it's still a staple plant and a part of that culture. Yeah, it definitely has a solid use in their traditional medicine and everyday life. Uh, people there still drink cocoa tea, so tea made from um, the cocoa leaves. And it's definitely a plant that I think holds a lot of cultural importance for them and if you live in that area, you do want to be relieved of your high altitude sickness. There's a lot of health problems that are associated with that. Uh, and so that has kind of become a point of contention between these countries where this drug is both still kind of used and sold in illegal and illicit purposes, which countries are trying to crack down on, but is also commonly used and not abused in local culture. Um, you know, the drug itself was isolated in, in 1960 to be used, you know, for the things like Coca-Cola. And once concern really mounted about it in the 1910s and 20s, um, the dependence on the drug and the moral ruin that it it was associated, it was especially prominent in young people. So there was a large, you know, drop in consumption 
But even so, probably the most worrying development during that time was uh, they developed a smokable paste that began being used by people in Latin America, which caused sores on the gums and lips that aided in the spread of diseases like hepatitis, uh, herpes, and tuberculosis. And so I think especially in mainstream media and things like that, this was something that they almost didn't want to talk about because they didn't want anybody to know about it or to continue to really, you know, promote the use of this drug. And so later on in the 1960s, it was actually labeled by the UN to be a schedule run one drug. And it's, labeled the entire cocoa plant that way and they did this for two reasons one they did mean to specifically phase out chewing coca leaves so if you you know they did a very loose report and in that report, which was made by people who were on a committee that uh, were associated with the UN, they decided that the effects of chewing cocoa leaves could potentially be quote unquote bad. Um, but they also did specifically say that it was not considered addictive or harmful in the medical sense, which is a little bit confusing. And they used this report as a basis for this decision to uh, make the plant a schedule one drug. Um, and then obviously they also did make it, you know, a schedule one drug to stop the manufacture of cocaine and its distribution, you know, on a world scale. So it's very questionable that this report really necessarily said anything meaningful about uh, the drug's effect on these communities. And today we know that this report would have never passed the standards that we would use to ban or classify a compound. You know, it's just not up to the standard that we would use however you know it hasn't been changed at all nothing has come of that and these countries especially in the andean region where honestly these kind of laws have caused so much harm it's caused a huge underground criminal you know ring to come around uh this cocaine it's caused a lot of issues as far as international relations um, and the law is specifically very kind of westernized in its uh, wording and its implications because as these world leaders kind of don't want this in their countries they want to stop it being produced even for these people who it's kind of become a huge um, part of their culture and their life so yeah there's been a lot of, years. yeah, definitely. And so there's been a lot of um, talk, even as recently as 2012, of some of these governments trying to appeal to the UN 
not to take the plant off the list entirely, but to keep the compound on the list and not necessarily the plant itself. Um, and it has been denied multiple times. Um, it was brought up as recently as 2012, but it was also brought up in 2009 and it was brought up in the 80s. Uh, and they also thought that this might allow for them to regulate legal cocoa producers and then give them the ability to crack down on illegal people who are making the cocaine because ultimately cracking down on the people who were making it for their community was just being harmful and also not being enforced because of the cultural implications that the plant had for them. Right. Just a lot of destabilizing by people who aren't there. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to see, you know, how heavy of an impact, you know, the kind of colonialism had on on these people and even continues to have to this day where, you know, we still kind of struggle with those illicit drugs and things like that and, uh, you know, struggle to maintain these relationships internationally. So... It's it's unfortunate, and, you know, it does seem like the plant itself, like I said, cocoa tea is still, you know, made there and sold in most grocery stores, even though it's kind of still illegal on this national scale, and, uh, you know, but these kind of things have this very much, like, trickle-down uh, effect for these people. Do you know if they, if these regions in South America have the same statistics on, um, a, like, cocaine addiction? Are they having the same issues? It seems that studies are a little bit, like, inconclusive. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, and also it's hard to get a good... It's, it's hard to get like a control group where there would be people who wouldn't be having it because it's so popular, at least as like a chewed or, you know, ingested drug anyway. But it, as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like just because it's available, it's something that they do there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um certainly in areas where it's used as a party drug it seems to be more accessible uh, because it's a little bit easier to get there but it doesn't it it doesn't seem at least that there is any large different difference in deaths but also you might not be getting completely accurate statistics either right (sighs) well What's your mini tip? I don't really have a tip for this one. This isn't something you should try to grow in your own home. It probably wouldn't grow anyway. For most of the people who would be listening to this. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, don't, don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> you know? Um, Although you can, you can try the tea. Yes. If I were to go there, I would definitely try it. But hopefully if you hear about this in, like, international affairs, uh, you'll have a little bit more of kind of, like, a background on it. Certainly you could do, you know, 
some of your own research. I think it's an interesting thought. I think we have similar problems with some other drugs as well. Um, but certainly this one, it's, it's dangerous for sure. Uh, you know, cocaine is, is something that obviously like if you ingest too much of, it can be lethal. There are some, uh, social implications that it has. If you decide to get into that <laughs> trade, it certainly is quite, uh, dangerous drug uh but it also you know it's, it's, it's got it's got two sides of a coin you know and what dangerous plant are we talking about next week uh next week we're going to talk about the poppy plant the poppy plant Ooh, we'll have to talk about the wizard of oz yes many many <laughs> things many interesting things come from that plant so i'm sure it will be a long episode well thank you all for joining us on our latest episode of plant stories dangerous plants the coca plant and hopefully if you enjoyed this episode you'll give it a like or subscribe or share it with a friend we look forward to you joining us next week bye bye